Hello, I'm Robert Kenzie from the RPG Light Entertainment Division at RPGMP3.com. A couple of weeks ago, I had the good fortune to be able to attend PaizoCon 2011 in Bellevue, Washington. PaizoCon is a small gaming convention, currently hosted by Paizo Publishing, but originally started by Paizo fans, with the object of bringing together gamers and game producers in a really unique way. Of course, it doesn't hurt that just about everyone who works at Paizo is a gamer themselves, from CEO Lisa Stevens, publisher Eric Mona, through the design team, and even the folks who work in customer service. At the convention itself, the staff mingles with the guests and goes out of their way to solicit feedback and talk about new products, but also to play and talk about games. Over the course of the weekend, there were Pathfinder Society games, special event games run by the Paizo staff, numerous seminars on game design, as well as Paizo's plans for the future, and even a special event banquet where new products were announced and past successes were celebrated. It's not all exclusive to Paizo, however. In the past four years, PaizoCon has developed a reputation as a place where game designers and third-party publishers come to talk shop and game in a way that's not really possible at larger events such as Gen Con. As a result, there's all kinds of game developers and creative types walking around the halls, and you never know who you'll run into. Because of all this, the con was a rich hunting ground for a podcaster looking for interviews, and I got a good chance to talk at length with the folks behind Pathfinder. What follows are the edited highlights of those interviews, and I'd like to thank all of the participants for taking the time to talk with me. The first person I ran into at the con was lead designer Jason Bullman, who was walking up and down the registration line and greeting the crowd as they waited to get their badges. Here's what he had to say on the morning of the Rob first Kenzie day of the con. At PaizoCon, I'm talking with Jason Bowman, lead designer. You know, I'm really excited about the upcoming basic set you guys are going to be putting out uh, in the coming year. Can you tell us anything about that right now? Well, uh, we're here at the opening of PaizoCon. Uh, we actually have a banquet scheduled here uh, tomorrow afternoon, where I'm going to be ta- tomorrow evening, where I'm going to be talking all about the beginner box. So you're going to get a lot of news about that throughout the show. Right now, I can tell you that uh, we're really excited. We just sent it to the printer. Um, the entire thing is now finally gone, so I get my life back, which is nice. Uh, but the box is really exciting. It, it's really designed for new players to have a way to easily get into the game without having to read a 576-page rule book, which can be a bit intimidating for your average 14-year-old. So it's got uh, two easy-to-read, easy-to-use books in it, one for players, one for game masters. It's got a bunch of handy tools to allow people to jump right into the game. They don't have to read a lot. They can just get right to playing. So we're really excited to uh, be talking about it here throughout the show, and uh, if you pop back in with me later on in the show, I'll be happy to tell you all about it. I'm looking forward to it. I managed to snag a couple of tickets to the banquet, so I'm I'm going to be there and get to hear more about that then. I know that I'm looking forward to it because it's going to make a good uh, gift for my daughters, who actually are very interested in um, playing Pathfinder with their old man, but the core rulebook being as thick as it is is a bit daunting for... Yeah, it's really more of a weapon than a book right now. I mean, you know, you can use it as a, as a reference manual, but really, uh, to, to 14-year-olds, it looks like a gigantic textbook. So um, we're really excited about the, the beginner box. It's a, it's a good way to introduce new players or interested players or even lapsed players to the game without having to be intimidated by a gigantic rule set. So um, we're really excited to, to have it out, and we're really excited to be showing it off here at the show. Another thing I'm looking forward to is uh, Ultimate Combat. Um, which is coming out. Is that going to be out in time for Gen Con? Uh, Ultimate Combat is slated to come out at Gen Con. We've shipped that off to the printer, too. We think that'll be ready on time. It, it better be. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're really excited about Ultimate Combat. It's got a lot of really great rules in it, some really fun stuff. Uh, in Ultimate Combat, we have the debut of the Ninja, the Samurai, and the Gunslinger. Um, guns, of course, being the super touchy topic amongst all gamers. It's uh, But we provide a nice, robust system for using guns however much you want to use them in the game, from not at all to everybody's got a gun shooting everybody. Um, 
And, and, and gradients in between, right? For me personally, I don't use guns a lot in my campaign uh, until the PCs encounter pirates. And the pirate captain always has a gun. That's just that's a rule of mine. So uh, we needed some rules for that, and we're, we're happy to provide them. Ultimate Combat also has a lot of new uh, alternate systems in them, things for vehicle combat, uh, gladiatorial combat. Um, there's a bunch of stuff on, like, uh, Eastern weapons and primitive weapons. It's a really fun book that offers a lot of different stuff for martial characters to really sink their teeth into. Does, I've heard that it might have, that it has rules for mass combat, um, but not necessarily like a mass combat system, but for like introducing like battles and things like that into the course of play. Well, actually, that was something very early on in the design process that we wanted to try and include in the book, but we realized it was just too big for us to get to fit in there. So um, well, that's something we're going to have to look at in the future. Unfortunately, it didn't quite make it into Ultimate Combat, but it's still something I really want to do for the game. So what, personally, what's your next project that you're going to be going on to now that uh, the basic box is off to the printer? My next product is... I guess I'll have to go to the banquet to find out. Yeah, throughout this convention you'll be finding out all about what I'm working on next. Um, until then, though, i got to keep tight-lipped. All right, I understand. Well, Jason, thanks very much for talking to me. I look forward to seeing you around the con. Are you running any games here at the con? I am actually running a game in just a few hours called Cursed Lot. It's a game I run uh, every year, so this is Cursed Lot 4, um, in which all of the PCs are terribly, horribly, debilitatingly cursed. Uh, and they have to try and get through just the simplest of adventure, uh, dealing with their terrible maladies. So this year should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Do you prefer playing or game mastering? Well, I'm, I have the heart of a game master, so that's what I do mostly. But I do enjoy playing quite a bit, too. I, I get all over the board. So, uh, you know, uh, this con, mostly I'll be game mastering, but if I find a chance to sit in on a table, I'll, uh, I'll do that. I did get another chance to talk to Jason at the end of the con, where he was a bit more free to discuss things, and we'll be returning with that later. For the moment, though, let's talk with Theodore Thompson, who had a table near the registration booth and was handing out copies of the Pathfinder Chronicler anthology book. I'm talking with Theodore Thompson, who is the editor of Pathfinder Chronicler Anthology, and can you tell us pretty much what, what is the Pathfinder Chronicler Anthology? It's a group of writers that want to create the best fiction we can. We uh, basically love Paizo, so we create all our works around Paizo. So, like, all of the stories and the characters is all based in Galarian? Correct. To be specific, yeah, Galarian is the, the place. And how did you get connected with all these different uh, writers? Um, I created a website called PathfinderChronicler.net. They contacted me, and we all basically worked together. We started editing each other's stuff to be published on the website, and that's that's what, where it started. And how did it come to be bound up in, a, in this handsome softcover um, format here? Someone said that they wanted to create a group of stories from our uh, Pathfinder Fiction Contest we held last August. And we put it together. We took the best stories that we found from the contest, the top ten. We also took writers that um, didn't make it to the top ten, but they came to our website and wanted to try out what we did. And they improved their stories to such a level that we also include them in our book. And there's also stories from our website as well. So it's a, basically three different angles basically coming in this book. So did um, Paizo help you at all with the publishing of it? Um, James Sutter's always been there for us. Um, he's he's always been supporting us, and uh, we appreciate that. Is there going to be an, an anthology volume two at some point for next year, maybe? Yes, there will be an anthology volume two. It's going to be um, a much much larger book. I, I have a feeling. 
And if somebody wants to get involved, it's PathfinderChronicler.net. Um, just drop us a line. We'll set you up, and uh, and we will work with you, and we will improve you, and we'll make you the writer you want to be. All right, excellent. Thank you very much for talking with me, Theodore. Thank you. After talking with Theodore, I moved into the dealer's room and happened to run into James Jacobs, Paizo's creative director. He spoke to me about upcoming releases, as well as the open call for ideas for Pathfinder Society Adventures. I'm here speaking with James Jacobs, creative director at Paizo. So, James, um, everybody's really excited about the new basic set that's going to be coming out. Uh, when, is that co- when is that due out? Uh, that is actually going to be coming out in October. But we just sent it to the printer like maybe a week ago. But we've got a mock-up of it here at the show that we'll be talking about later on at the uh, the banquet. We'll be doing a big presentation of all of the, the components and stuff inside it and all that. So uh, one of the other big releases we're going to be doing in a couple months at Gen Con is Ultimate Combat. That's basically we just uh, released Ultimate Magic. Ultimate Combat's the companion piece for that, so it's got a lot more focus on fighters and barbarians and rogues and cavaliers and characters that don't really use magic all that much uh there's still some options in there for if you do want you know like you want to be more of a battle wizard or a war cleric or something like that as a creative director do you get a lot of submissions from people who are like looking to uh publish a a pfs module or something like that uh we actually for right now for the pathfinder society we have uh basically it's an open call and anybody who wants to to write up a submission or something like that you can write it in uh send it in to mark morland is the guy that is going through all of those so that's pretty much going all the time we've also got the RPG Superstar program that happens every year. That's a big contest, and whoever wins that gets an adventure published, basically, uh, in, I think, February of every year. Anything happening that you want to plug right now or that you can plug right now? Um, one of the big things that we're going to be talking about later in uh, probably tomorrow noon is I'll be announcing the, the adventure path that comes up after Jade Regent. Jade Regent, of course, is the one we're launching at Gen Con, which is going to reveal a lot of stuff about the other side of the world, Tian Shaw, and uh, basically it's a big Asian theme adventure path with samurai and ninja and oni and a bunch of stuff like that. So those will be some two topics I'll be talking about a lot in the days to come. All right, excellent. Are you going to be running any games while you're here? Yeah, I've got two on the schedule. I've got one today later that is uh, based on a game that I've wrote and I've been playing for about a about a decade now called Unspeakable Futures. It's kind of a post-apocalyptic Lovecraft Fallout, Dark Tower, Mismash, Road Warrior, all of these things all rolled together. Anything that's cool about the post-apocalyptic type future, uh, and it uh, uses the Pathfinder system. So I'll be running that one uh, later today. Then tomorrow, I'm going to be running a Call of Cthulhu game about basically with the investigators playing ghost hunters sent out to this haunted house. And since it's Call of Cthulhu, there's going to be more than just creaking noises in the night to harass them. So that's going to be pretty fun. Is it a 1920s game or a modern game? It's, uh, it's modern, so should be interesting. Just out of curiosity, you use Pathfinder rules for that, or do you use like one of the more uh, the newer editions of uh, Call of Cthulhu? I'm actually going to be using the uh, the old classic Chaosium uh, basic role playing system. That's the one that I really. That's one of my favorite systems. I think that's everybody really loves that uh, over the over the newer version. Well, it, it is. It's just it's just so elegant, and it's been around for almost like 30, 40 years or something like that. It's been around for decades, and uh, it has. They've gone through six editions, and it hasn't really changed much. It's just so simple and doesn't really get in the way of the story and everything like that. I really really enjoy. Running those games. What's the last character that you played in a long-term campaign? The last character I played in a long-term campaign. Uh, well, I've got one right now that uh, Rob McCreary is running. It's a, a cleric of um, Desna. He's doing kind of a, a kingmaker game, but it's set in Iabaria, and uh, we've been doing that game for oh, I don't know many many months, and we're still like only third or fourth level. So it's kind of kind of still going experience-wise, but that one's pretty fun. And then Jason Bowman has just started up this weekly grind, he calls it, 
which is basically every Tuesday, every Monday and Thursday, he runs two groups at Paizo through uh, one encounter in this super meat grinder dungeon. And the last session we had, he killed off Eric. So Jason Bowman is not afraid to kill off his boss. But then I guess I did the same thing in a Cthulhu game I ran, and Eric still gives me uh, grief about that. So it's a tricky thing, gaming with your boss. <laughs> I imagine so. One of the guests of honor at PaizoCon was author and designer Ed Greenwood, creator of The Forgotten Realms. He was gracious enough to let me pull him aside for a brief discussion about his current projects, as well as sharing his ideas about emphasizing roleplay and creativity in games. All right, this is Rob Kenzie for RPG MP3, and I'm here talking with Mr. Ed Greenwood, who's famous in this industry going back a long way. And uh, you know, from TSR to Wizards, uh, everything in between, and now you're here at PaizoCon. So what, uh, what are you doing with Paizo these days? Oh, I'm doing all sorts of things, just little articles here, web fiction there. I've never actually worked as a staff member at any gaming company. I've always been a freelancer. Now, I'm most associated with TSR and then Wizards of the Coast because they published the realms, the world I came up with. But yeah, I write for everybody. And Galarian is this nice, cool new world, and... I love cool new worlds and world building, so I'm, I'm writing web fiction, um, and I've already done the Guns of Alkenstar, a six-part web serial, a few months back for them. And I, I've written stuff for all, all sorts of little tiny bits and pieces of rules and stuff on the elves and so on for Galarian. So I'm looking forward to doing more, so that's why I'm here. Do you focus mainly on fiction these days, or do, are you still like laying down crunch rules uh, you know, for, various, uh, for various things? I do... Still do game design. I've just done a, um, for the gaming paper, they're, they're, they've got a super dungeon, and uh, which I think they'll be selling at Gen Con. And a number of us have, have done sort of side adventures. If you take just these few sheets from the dungeon and you arrange them in a, in a different way, and we write an adventure to go with them. And a couple of us have done that. I, I think there'll be e-adventures, and I've just finished one of those. So, yeah, I'm, I'm most comfortable with no rules at all because that's what my regular gaming group does. We just sort of role play without any rules. And and the rules we all grew up with were first edition and then second edition. But yes, I can design for third edition, 3.5, D20, fourth edition, um, and some other gaming systems that I've worked with over the years going back to the, the fantasy trip, you know, the way back when. Um, but I, although I do lots of rule mechanics over the years, it's really more to for me about the adventure, which is you know, a, a fancy way of saying the story. So I suppose I really am more a story guy than anything else. It's the story that grabs me, you know. you prefer game mastering or playing? I get to do more playing. I don't really prefer one over the other. Um, I suppose if I'm playing something in the realms, I would like to be the game master because if anybody else is doing it, I'm, I'm always thinking, no, he got that wrong, or no. You have, a, you have to correct the DM. While he's yeah, and I don't ever want to do that, but it, I just had this little thing going on inside my head that, you know, maybe maybe that should have been done differently. Or you, you're sure we're in Waterdeep? Because you haven't, you haven't described it like Waterdeep. We could be anywhere, you know, sort of thing. You know, and, and I don't ever want to do that because that ruins the game for me. And if I ever open my mouth, it ruins it for everybody else. It's not fair to the the DM. So I suppose if I was in the realms, I'd like to be DM. Yeah. Have, has anyone ever like surprised you with something really like? Oh yes. Um, in fact, I agreed that the realms could become a shared world, so that not everything in it would be something I put there. Because the one thing that happens when you do that is you can never be surprised by your own world. If you go around a corner and there are eight orcs jump out at you in an ambush. They're there because you put them there as the designer, and you know they're there, so you can never be surprised. 
Um, of course, surprises can be delightful surprises, or they can be otherwise surprises. Um, but most of the stuff that has come from um, designers, and I, I don't just mean guys who are paid to be designers or gals who are paid to be designers, I mean all people who, who design have been good because gamers are full of imagination. So um, there have been a lot of times where I've been, oh, this is really cool. And, and that happens a lot. And a lot of stuff like that is, um, has been put into the published realms. Not just by me, but by, you know, it is not by my fiat, but, but by the publishers, um, who, who put out the printed realms products saying, oh, we've got this person to write this. And I read it and say, hey, this is really cool. This brought it to life. Now, there are occasional things where it's not so much a surprise as somebody nails perfectly something you did. Like when Elaine Cunningham published Elf Shadow, her, her, early novel set in Waterdeep about Elaith the Serpent crawling over, she got him perfectly. It's like, wow, somebody's reading my mind. You know, you know, um, it, it was, that's a delight too. But, but, um, the one thing that sh- being a share rule gives us that you can't when you're, you know, it's all yours is surprise. And thank goodness for me, most of the surprises for the realms have been delights as well. What's the next thing you'd like to do in Galarian? I don't know yet. I think the thing I'd like to do next is just to continue the story. In the in the web fiction thing, that I, the serial I did a couple months ago, I introduced two characters, and they were in Alkenstar, and by the end of the story, they sort of have to flee into the Mana Wastes. Well, I'd like to look back at those two characters and start exploring the Mana Wastes. So that would probably be the, what do, what do I want to do next? Yeah, but that's a different, really a different question for what's the big thing I'd like to do eventually. And the answer to that at the moment is really, I don't know. What is the last character that you played in a long-term campaign? I'm playing in a long-term campaign right now. Well, I'm DMing a long-term campaign, the Realms campaign, and I play all the NPCs. Um, What's the last character you've played as a player for somebody else's game? I played a young, raw-voiced imp of a teenage hooker um, (laughs) slash thief acrobat. Um, in a realms campaign in the mean streets of Westgate. Um, she was a um, second story girl, as in she climbed out the second floor window with all your valuables after sleeping with you. Okay, you know, that sort of thing. And, and I had great fun playing her as the, the sort of, um, I don't know, I suppose the closest would be an Avril Lavigne character, <laughs> except... With an increasingly bullfrog voice as the as the <laughs> night went on, and she drank more because she also loved to drink, and but she get more and more raw voiced. So by the end of it, she'd be like this. No, and and we were all hamming it up and all having fun, and it was it was great fun because of course the dungeon master is going, okay, what can we do next? You know, so yeah, that was the last one I happened to play. The one before that was a playtest thing, and it, I was playing a merchant, and I was doing the um, sort of Eric Idle in uh, Life of Brian. You know, when, when Brian is trying desperately to buy a disguise with the Roman soldiers and the Eric Idol's saying, oh, no, you have to haggle. It goes like this. <laughs> you must be mad, you know. <laughs> you know, and, and I, uh, he wasn't that comedic, but he was doing the same overblowing. You don't like these silks? I have others. You know, you know going, you know, over-the-top stuff. And, and he was great fun to play, um, but very annoying. So, I mean, he probably wouldn't have a long life in an ongoing campaign. Somebody would, you know... Somebody would hit him. Yeah, arrange an accident to happen where the hit took him, you know, three stories down over the edge of something. Splat. Oh, dear. You know. Well, Ed, you sound like you'd be a lot of fun to have a game with. Are you going to be playing any games here at the con? I will be. Um, well, okay. I will be running a game here at the con. Uh, an old classic game. 
from the second edition D&D um, mouse hole. I, I see I, all the games I, I wrote then and the characters I did then, I put copyrights on them for TSR. And I see that the copyright on this one is 1997. Wow. But the, the, but, uh, the characters are 1993 up through 1997. So it's going to be old school. Second edition, old school. You don't have to know the rules. We just play along. If you forgot your dice, that's okay. We don't need to. And you'll explain Thacko to everybody again. Of course. No, no, no. It's very easy. You say, what are you trying to do? And they say, oh, I'm, I'm trying to hit that guy. And I go, you hit him. Or you didn't. Because if it's all about story and you trust your DM, it doesn't matter. That's a very interesting kind of a, approach to it. And I've heard of people who do that. I haven't done that myself. But uh, it said that you, you really have to have a, a good amount of trust between the players and the, and the game master. The, the, the players have to... You have to trust the players that they aren't going to try and break out of the box and and do something absolutely outrageous that real-world characters could do, like pull out their cell phones. You know, the, you know. And at the same time, the players have to really trust that the Dungeon Master is there to entertain everybody and that the players are the heroes. So unless they misbehave, they try and do something really outrageous beyond what their capabilities, they will carry the day. And, and if, if the players trust you, then, then they'll try stuff. Because hey, we're the heroes, you know. But they only stop doing that if they think no, he he, the dungeon master is our adversary and he's looking for ways to kill our characters, you know. After talking with Ed, I hit the dealer room in earnest, mainly to find out who was there and what new exciting projects they had coming out. A number of third-party publishers were in attendance, including John Brazer Enterprises, Super Genius Games, Zombie Sky Press, and Open Design, whom I spoke with first. Uh, my name is Adam Roy, and uh, I'm a member and contributor of uh, Open Design and Cobalt Quarterly, uh, two faces of uh, the same coin. Uh, we publish Cobalt Quarterly, a quarterly um, uh, uh, gaming magazine, and uh, also uh, Open Design is um, the uh, group that uh, does uh, the patron system, which was invented by Wolfgang Bauer, where basically you can uh, buy a patronage for one of the current projects, a gaming supplement. Right now we're doing the Midgard setting, which is uh, our setting uh, for all our products and is uh, Pathfinder and 4th edition compatible. So uh, you uh, basically sign up and then uh, you uh, get a password for the uh, forum board. So you go on and it's like, okay, we need ideas for a city full of alchemists is one we just had recently. So what's cool stuff we can do with potions and alchemists? And people are like, oh, well, you know, let's come up with this crazy thing that like you can get the potion cheaper, but tentacles may grow out of your face. You know, I mean, just uh, crazy stuff like that. And it's just a lot of fun and a way to connect with a lot of the community worldwide. We've got people from New Zealand and Australia and Finland and everything all on the boards pitching ideas. So, you know, if you want to be involved in uh, a project, see your name in uh, print as a patron or a contributor or maybe even developer eventually, it's, it's a kind of a great way to pull back the curtain and sort of get a first step into the industry if you're into that sort of thing. Does the Midgard world that you're designing, does it have like a theme or something? Um, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about that. The the main thing that uh, Wolfgang Bauer, the, the founder of Open Design and Cobalt Quarterly, said is that we don't want it to be a kitchen sink setting. Um, so, you know, it's it's got a lot of different stuff. There's uh, sort of apocalyptic er- areas and there's sort of... Uh, uh, sort of Renaissance Italy eras and stuff. So there's a lot of different playable stuff, but uh, uh, it sort of it sort of grew out of Wolfgang's uh, home campaign, homebrew campaign, and uh, so there, it tends to a little more toward the Eastern European. Like uh, recently, we had Tales of the Old Margrave, which is very much uh, an anthology of adventures that are sort of very much in the the Brothers Grimm sort of thing, you know, Baba Yaga, that sort of thing. So it's got. 
I don't want to say darker, but it's got more of an Eastern European, old, original, pre-cleaned up fairy tale sort of uh, feel to it in a lot of areas. But like I said, there's also sort of uh, some Lovecraftian elements to it. And you got the classic, uh, you know, we got the elves. And we just came out with the Northland Supplement too long ago, which is the Viking sort of area. So there's plenty of room to play in, but it it, it doesn't quite have the, the, the feel of what you've seen before. Excellent. Are you personally, do you play more or do you game master more? Uh, generally, I play more personally. Uh, I'm actually running two games here at uh, PaizoCon this year. Uh, I'm running Red Cloak Ruckus, uh, fun and, and hilarity in the kobold ghetto in the Medgard setting. And uh, then I'm running Grandmother's Fire, which is actually out of Tales of the Old Margrave, which just came out, uh, which is uh, Baba Yaga wants you to do a favor for her. So uh, that's, that's always a lot of fun. Oh, cool. That sounded like a lot of fun. What what is the um, uh, what's the last character that you played in a long term campaign? Uh, it's actually funny because it's my uh, on the Cobalt Quarterly and uh, Open Design boards. It's actually my username is Mighty Mongo, uh, and uh, he's uh, the long term character. He was a, a half orc uh, fighter barbarian. And uh, he was just a lot of fun because, you know, with the Great Cleave and the Supreme Cleave and all that sort of stuff, you know, he'd kill six guys in one round and all that sort of stuff. So he loved killing minions. So, Well, thank you very much for talking with us, Adam. really appreciate it. Yeah. I'm talking with Janelle Bisaquino here uh, from John Brazer Enterprises. So, Janelle, tell us about uh, what you're doing here at Paizo. Right now, we have uh, two Paizo products that um, interweave with the uh, kingdom building rules. We have the entire compilation of players' guide for all the kingdom rules, mass combat, as well as enhancements such as tricking out your castle, and uh, mass uh, combat uh, spells and uh, magic items. We also have a very popular book of beasts, which was specific to a river kingdom area and they've gotten um, five five-star reviews on paizo.com for uh, their, their, their freaky scariness of uh, monster generation. It also includes things like uh, diseases and haunts and drugs and uh, games for your PCs. I'm actually I'm kind of interested in the mass combat system. I heard that um, something like that was going. Is that in the Book of the River Nation supplement? Yes, it's in the Book of the River Nation supplement. It's the second chapter. It's entire re-editing of the mass combat rules, as well as an, an addition to having stat blocks for mass combat armies. How does that work? Is it basically you have a stat block for by units or by troop types or what? Um, the stat block is for a, a, a unit, and a unit can be from a small unit to a, a gargantuan unit. We have uh, a cobalt armada in there, which is our gargantuan unit of cobalts. It's one of the most popular that we have. Basically, the cobalts overrun you. Well, what's the next big thing coming from John Brazer? Um, right now, we're doing a, a PDF series of assassins for the kingdom building rules because every kingdom has to fall once in a while, or at least the king has to die, or the queen. So that's next. All right, we're looking forward to that. Thank you very much.
Okay, this is Rob from RPG MP3. I'm here with the good folks at Hero Lab, and I know that a lot of people out there are already familiar with what Hero Lab does, but what does Hero Lab have here at PaizoCon? So we just released a couple cool things. We released the Ultimate Magic Supplement, um, which has the new Magus uh, class, uh, the new spells, new feats from Ultimate Magic. Uh, we also just released Hero Lab 3.7, which is a bunch of cool new features, including customizable output, printing multiple heroes at once, uh, and a whole bunch of uh, new stuff. We're showing the, both of those off here at the show. We're also demoing our uh, Mac version for the first time. Uh, you can see it here in the show. It's still in beta, uh, but we're or still pre-beta, but we're hoping to have it out for uh, Gen Con this year. All right, now, I'm a GM, and so obviously I have to create a lot of NPCs. Uh, how easy is it to like set up a you know a quick NPC in Hero Lab? Uh, it's dead easy. Uh, Hero Lab does all the validation for you, makes sure your NPCs conform to all the rules. We also have a library of probably uh, a thousand plus stock NPCs, uh, different monsters of different races, uh, character classes uh, from the uh, from all the different Pathfinder public, uh, products. So the Bestiary, the NPC guide. Uh, we're working on the Rival guide right now. Um, so those NPCs all come free with Hero Lab. Um, you can load those in and use and use them, or you can customize them. So let's say that you just read the rival guide. There's a really cool uh, adventuring party in there you want to use. You can import them and then say, okay, instead of this guy being a cleric, I want him to be a druid. Delete his cleric levels, add his druid levels. Hero Lab will prompt you to add all the appropriate custom abilities. We'll let you know how his uh, new druid abilities interfere with what he's with his uh, old stuff, and we'll validate it all. Make sure you're creating an, uh, a character that, that meets all the rules. And those NPCs that you have available, are they like a download on the website, or do they come packaged with the uh, with the game system expansion for the for the main core mechanics? Uh, yes, they they come with the uh, they're included with the uh, the core with the core rulebook uh, with the core with the core download rather. Um, but uh, let's say if an NPC uses content from the Bestiary, you need to have that supplement to be able to use the NPC. All right. Okay, this is Rob from RPG MP3. I'm here talking to Matt from D20 Pro. And were you guys at uh, were you guys at Gen Con last year with this? Uh, we were at Gen Con last year, not with the uh, Smart Table prototype. It was there in a different booth. We're partnering with uh, Mesa Mooney and Geek Chic, who are building the, uh, the Smart Table, and we're supplying the software for it. And let me describe what I'm looking at here, and that is that this is a it's uh, like it's a projection. Virtual, well, not virtual. There's nothing virtual about it. It's actually very real. I'm looking at it right now, but it's basically a projection screen inside a handsome cabinet uh, that is uh, designed for you to play on the screen. With uh, obviously, uh, you know, we've seen things like this online before in a more crude uh, format. But what I'm looking at looks very, very polished and very, very slick. So why, why don't you tell me a little bit about it? Well, it's still a prototype, and I don't want to steal the thunder from my friends at Mesa Mundi and Geek Chic. But it's uh, multi-touch capable. It will be tracking uh, what they call fiducials. So you'll be able to put stickers on the bottom of your miniatures and place them on the screen. It'll recognize them automatically. And you can also gesture with your fingers to resize the map, move your miniatures around. So it's definitely a, a future of gaming, showing you the, the best possibilities of what software can do, but still be, like you said, very tangible, very real. Still be around the table with your buddies playing D&D, but uh, using the power of the computer. Ah, I see. Okay, so you guys, you're the ones who are developing the software to work with the to work with the system. Yeah, that's why uh, Toby was nice enough to let me borrow this prototype was to further augment D20 Pro's capabilities. I met him at Gen Con last year, and he was actually running Map Tools on it, doing his demos. I said, "Hey, man, you got to check out D20 Pro." So he gave it a try, and then uh, that's built the partnership we have uh, developing. And I expect to be adding a lot of capabilities uh, that take advantage of that. Uh, 
capabilities of the tabletop itself. Right now, it's just using Windows Touch events to do all the interaction, but D20 Pro will be uh, evolving to do multiple finger gestures. Like I said, the little glyphs, the stickers on the bottom of the minis, recognizing those. That doesn't happen yet, but it will happen soon. So tell me a little bit about D20 Pro then and uh, and how that works. Obviously, is it... It, I can just look at it right now. I can tell that it's a lot more than just a mapping software. It is, and it started out as a hobby project of mine because I was a lazy DM, tired of tracking hit points and initiative, and it seemed like my party had haste the entire night. So I started building tools, uh, and it evolved into what D20 Pro is now. So it's really at the heart of it. It's cranking through combats where you have tons, 15 buffs in play, high-level monsters, multiple attacks. So in addition to mapping, chat, and dice rolling, you can also do a lot of... Uh, gaming mechanic automation so for instance not just for somebody who's playing with people online but you know if i'm playing at the table okay and i don't have one of these amazing touchscreen you know cabinets or whatnot how can d20 pro help my game and help me uh, adjudicate the game better help make my game run faster that's it started around the table because i was playing around the table with my friends so you can use it as only on a single computer as a super powerful gm screen Keep track of all the initiative, your monster's attacks, his saving throws, all that. Rather than flip through pages, you just click on the monster and do a saving throw, for example. And then you can add an extended desktop and another display to your one computer and run the player version of the software together with the judge version. And then the players can only see the parts of the map and the monsters you want them to see. And after that, you can start adding more computers to it. So the classic around-the-table scenario now... DM has their computer, the players have their computer connected to your HDTV or projector, or players bring multiple laptops, and they can all see their actions. So you can use it as much or as little as you want. And if you have a projector, you can project from the roof, or if you have a smart table, you can play with miniatures and dice with the virtual maps all together. So you have a lot of capabilities. And how much does the package cost? Well, D20 Pro is $30 for the entry full plus two guest license, and it works out to $10 a computer connected to the game after that. So you can add on to your full license. Players can buy their own licenses and join uh, join games with those. Obviously, you GM. Do you play as well? When I have the time. I love to play, but I'm more or less GMing or developing D20 Pro. And what was the last character you played in a long-term campaign? Uh, a lizard man, uh, Specked Lest, and a Savage Tides uh, module for Pathfinder. Cool. Sounds cool. All right. Well, Matt, thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you very much. And uh, appreciate it. And it's looks like something we have to check out online. Thank you. Uh, this is Rob from RPG MP3, and I am here at PaizoCon uh, with Stan! Exclamation point from Super Genius Games. Stan, how are you? I'm doing great. It's good to meet you. Good to be here. Thank you. Now, tell us a little about Super Genius Games, what you're publishing, and what your, your next big projects are. Uh, so Super Genius Games is a small... Uh, game design uh, studio. Mostly it's uh, me and Owen K.C. Stevens, and we're working with some freelancers. Uh, we do a lot of Pathfinder support. Since uh, November 2009, we put out one Pathfinder PDF every week. So at this point, we're somewhere over 80, I think, and, uh, and going strong. We just had another one come out a couple of days ago. Uh, but we also are doing support for Call of Cthulhu and Savage Worlds. Uh, but here we're talking about the Pathfinder. And besides the PDFs, which you can get online at the Paizo store or One Bookshelf or uh, RPG Now, uh, we have a compilation of some of the best of our PDFs, which is called the Adventures Handbook. It's got, uh, I believe, 12 of our, our best PDFs compiled into one, uh, one handbook-style product. 
about 125 pages. And uh, just as a, a PaizoCon exclusive, we have the Genius Guide to the Time War, which features two of our more popular uh, base classes we put out, the Time Thief and the Time Warden, both of which feature various plays on the idea of chronomancy and, and magic that can affect time and, and actually use practical time travel rules in a game. Okay. And uh, the website that, uh, again, where people can uh, find your stuff, just they can buy it through Paizo's store, obviously, and uh, Super Genius has its own website as well? Yes, we have uh, supergeniusgames.com, um, but uh, we, we don't sell there because we like to help support Paizo all the way. So we do most of our sales through Paizo. If you're looking to buy our stuff, we have a very good presence there. We're on the uh, message boards a lot, but you can come visit our site, too. That's supergeniusgames.com. Cool. So, Stan, do you ge- do you GM more generally, or do you play more generally? Uh, over the course of my life, my gaming life, I GM more. But in the last year or two, I've mostly been playing. What's the last character that you played in a long-term campaign or a short-term campaign? What was the last memorable character that you played? Well, so the, mo- the most memorable character I've had recently is a guy in a, uh, a Gamma World game whose shtick is that he has. He's able to go turn his bones to goo, and so he's uh, he's uh, the the talker and the big coward. He gets everyone in trouble and then kind of slinks off away and lets them deal with the problems, which is nothing like me. <laughs> Sounds cool. All right, Stan. Very much. Uh, thank you very much for uh, talking with us. I was glad to meet you. I'm here at PaizoCon, and I'm talking with Scott Gable of Zombie Sky Press. So, Scott, what uh, what are you guys doing here at PaizoCon? Hi, um, I'm Scott Gable, and we are uh, Zombie Sky Press is a PDF publisher, and uh, we are here at PaizoCon with uh, uh, compilations of our PDFs. Uh, we have two brand new releases today: the uh, Mysteries of the Tengu Road, the, uh, which presents a Yamabushi character class and a Dai Tengu uh, uh, player race, and a continuation of our uh, the Fairy Ring Fey uh, uh, source book with a new uh, um, chapter called Red Jack. And uh, that's about all that's new with us. You have like your own world setting or something you develop in? Um, it's more of a, I like to call it a micro setting. It's not, it's not really intended to be um, a setting all its own. It's, it's meant to drop and play in your own favorite setting, so it should work well with Pathfinder or whatever setting you like. So you more, are you, do you more source books or do you do adventure modules as well? Uh, so far it's just uh, source books and, um, and uh, new rules and stuff like that. Uh, there are some plans for some uh, adventure-type things uh, later in the year, maybe. And uh, how about you personally? Do you GM more or do you play more? Um, uh, probably about a 50-50. Uh, I, I like it on both sides. What was the last character that you played uh, that was memorable in a long-term campaign? The last character I played? Uh, well, my my current character is, uh, is a witch in a Pathfinder campaign. I'm having a good time with that. But I haven't played in a little while. I've been so busy trying to prepare for... Uh, I understand. Well, Scott, thank you very much for talking to us. My pleasure. This up. And here we go. Okay, this is Rob Kenzie. I'm here talking with Clinton Boomer here at PaizoCon. And Clinton is a novelist, so Clinton, tell us about what you got here. Uh, what I've got here for sale, it's called The Hole Behind Midnight. It is a rollicking action-adventure, urban fantasy. It's got cursing, nudity, violence, uh, 
it's a detective fiction story, classic 40s detective noir, you know, uh, trench coat, fedora, walking in the rain, smoking cigarettes, thinking about the case, and uh, but it's set in the modern day, it's got cell phones and cars and uh, uh, very fast cars, and uh, a lot of people getting shot, and then also it's, got, some, it's uh, got an evil demon clown monster that runs around and threatens people, and it's got a haunted van that drives around at night, it says free candy on the side, and it prays for children, and it's, it's, uh, it is exactly the sort of novel I would love. That sounds really fascinating. So, how, how is it that you wind up here at Paizo? Kind of, you so affiliated with Paizo in any way? I love Paizo. I love Paizo more than words can say. I did RPG Superstar back in 2008. Uh, I placed in the top four. It was the most exciting moment of my entire life, four cents. Um, and then since then, I've gotten the, the, the great pleasure of getting to work with Paizo on various stuff. I have a uh, freelancer. Uh, I've worked for some third-party publishers, including Scott Gable's Zombie Sky Press. Uh, and I happen to be right next to Scott Gable right now. It's very, very exciting for me. Uh, there, he's selling uh, a CD that's got a DVD. DVD? CD? Yeah. So with... Um, uh, with some of my work on it, and it's just—it's an honor to be here. I love Pazogan. I haven't been here since 2009. I was here in 2009. It was awesome, and then somehow for 2010. My life was a shambles, and I was unable to make it to Pazogan. This year, I'm back. I'm back, baby. Glad to be here. Are you going to be at Gen Con? The answer to that is yes. Now, at this exact moment, I have no room, no booth, no ride to it, no nothing. But I'm, I'm going to be there. All right? I haven't missed a Gen Con since 2008. It's not happening this year. Um, I would love to go and sell the novel. Whether or not that's a doable thing, no one knows. But we're. I, but I'm going to be there if I have to prowl around, if I, have to, if I have to walk on bloody stumps to and from Gen Con with one copy of my novel. I will be there with the book. Guaranteed. All right. Well, I look forward to seeing you there. I'm excited. All right. I'm at PaizoCon, and I'm talking with Lily from Iron Dice. And I think that we need to, to establish that these are indeed metallic dice. They are really, really awesome looking. Uh, and I'm very curious, are they actually iron? No, they're actually a zinc alloy. But, but there is iron in them. A little bit, yes. <laughs> but they do, they definitely have a heft. And I'm going to go out, I'm going to roll one of these on the table so you can hear what it sounds like hitting the table. That's going to put a dent in your in your hardwood there, is what that's going to do. Avoid glass tables. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can imagine the, the, the problem with glass tables. So tell us a little bit about Iron Dice, how you guys uh, started um, your affiliation with Paizo, and uh, what you're doing here at PaizoCon. Well, Iron Dice was actually started um, by a guy over in Milan, Italy, who owns his own uh, metalworking factory and makes metal parts for Italian designers. And he's a huge nerd, so he's like, oh... I want to make my own D6 dice battle game, and I'll design all my own shapes for it, and I'll make them really spectacular because I have a metal shop and I can do that. And then um, about a year, half and ago, uh, my boss went to a convention over in Italy and saw them, and he ended up picking up uh, 72 different ones because uh, there are nine shapes and eight different colors, which all look fantastic. And um, we brought them over. They sold like hotcakes, and we just kept on bringing them over. And now we're like distributing them all over the United States. So these are, um, I can see it's fifty dollars for a starter set, and those have uh, nine dice in them. Yeah. So these are kind of on the expensive side. Uh, yeah, they're a little expensive, but they're they also have a lot of craftsmanship, and they're also very like high quality metal dice. Uh, I will attest to the fact that they do look absolutely gorgeous. Yes, they do, especially the, the laser-etched ones. Those are fantastic. Those are by far my favorite. 
Can these be purchased online as well? Uh, they can. We don't have an online purchase store with a cart yet, but if you can send us an email, uh, we can do um, shipments uh, and deliveries such as that. Are you guys gamers yourself? Oh, yeah. So do you like to play more or GM more? Uh, I definitely haven't GM'd the game yet, and uh, I also do a lot of like miniature war games like uh, Warhammer, um, uh, not Warhammer, um, War Machines. There we go. So it uses D6, so these are great for me. I'm a Warhammer player myself, so I know I understand the need for lots of cool D6s. Oh, yeah, definitely. And there's also going to be other shapes as well. Um, we're having D4s and D10s come out at the end of the summer, and then D12s and D20s uh, beginning of next year. All right, that sounds great. And uh, the, we- uh, the website again where people can find out more? Uh, www.irondieamerica.com. After touring around the dealer's room, I picked up a couple of items and went to the checkout where I happened to meet Paizo's financial manager, Chris Self. Uh, Chris, I was surprised to learn, because I didn't know this at the time, is a fellow RPG MP3 podcaster with the Strand Gamers. Here's what he had to say when I stuck a microphone in his face. This is Rob at RPG MP3, and I'm here talking with Chris Self, who's the finance manager at Paizo, and he's having a little trouble with the register. Hi, Rob. I, I am waiting for my register to refresh my product list at the moment. I'm eager to buy Paizo products. Uh, I'm eager to sell you Paizo products. <laughs> Are you enjoying the con so far? I, I, I'm a little tired, but for the most part, yes. Are you going to be playing any games while you're here? No, I won't have any time. Uh, that's a shame. Here, I'm going to go ahead and hand over my product. You can ring them up right now. Thank you very much for selling me stuff, and thank you for talking. You are welcome. <laughs> While getting prepared to participate in a couple of Pathfinder Society events, I made the acquaintance of Liz Kortz, who should be familiar to PFS players as one of their premier organizers at Gen Con. Liz was happy to tell me all about the Pathfinder Society and about her personal gaming experience as well. Uh, this is Rob from RPG MP3, and I'm here talking with Liz Kortz from Paizo, uh, who is coordinating the Pathfinder Soci- uh, Society events here at PaizoCon. So, Liz, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on here at the con? Well, uh, I have been roped into uh, helping organize Pathfinder Society HQ here at PaizoCon because I volunteered to do that for the last three years at Gen Con. So they said, well, you know what you're doing. Let's let's get you to do this. So right now it's uh, kind of a lull between slots. So it's basically uh, get paperwork ready for the next one, make sure people are happy, and uh, answer questions for people that stop by. So uh, how easy is it to get into uh, playing in the Pathfinder Society? Really easy. Just show up with either a character you've made yourself uh, by using the guidelines we have for um, available on Pathfinder Society um, at paizo.com. Or we have pre-generated characters here, so we can just get you sit, sit down and ready to go and start playing immediately. Now, Pathfinder Society has been around for, I think this is the fourth year? Uh, this is the fourth year, yes. we had There was a season zero where we were testing out you know, how the, how the society kind of bureaucracy works and how to do the paperwork. And uh, that was, uh, season zero was the last year we did 3.5. And when season one kicked in, that's when we switched over to Pathfinder RPG. So, What's new for the Pathfinder Society this year? Oh, I, there are lots of stuff new. There's going to be some really interesting changes, but that's definitely Mark and Hiram's bag, so I'm not going to let that cat out. Uh, is that going to be happening at the preview uh, banquet tomorrow night? Uh, I'm sure it's going to be, there's a future of Pathfinder Society, I think, uh, up in the seminar this convention, um, but I know we'll be do- continuing doing the previews over the next couple months, but the big reveal is definitely going to be at Gen Con. All right, excellent. You're going to be at Gen Con yourself? I am. I'm going to be in the same pe- seat that I'm sitting in right now. Awesome. I will be at Gen Con as well, and hopefully I will see you there. Okay, excellent. And uh, one final question. Do you normally play more or GM more? I like to GM. I, I, like, I like the director's chair. 
Excellent. What was the last thing or the current thing that you're GMing? Uh, I am not GMing anything, anything currently. I'm actually a player in Kingmaker as well as a player in a homebrew game. So. Oh, and, uh, and Curse of the Crimson Throne. <laughs> so you're definitely... So what What are you playing in Curse of the Crimson Throne? In Curse of the Crimson Throne, I am currently playing a 12th level uh, Inquisitor. Thank you very much for talking with us, Liz. After the day's events, I headed to the hotel bar to relax. Of course, as long as my microphone was out, I took the time to speak to Paizo message board luminary Russ Taylor, designer Adam Daigle, and author Kevin Murphy. Okay, it's Rob Kenzie from RPGMP3.com, and you are here at PaizoCon. It's the end of the day. We're hanging out in the bar, and who am I talking to? You're talking to Mean Russ Taylor, uh, known by many as possibly the most uh, wicked, obnoxious person on the uh, Paizo chat room. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what, what handle do you go by? Uh, when Sebastian's not around, I go by Russ. Okay, cool. Track me. There we go. So how's your uh, how's your con so far? Pretty good. I got to skewer a bard on the end of a lance during the grand melee. That was kind of a high point. Uh, killed three other players in the morning. So four body count con. It's a good one. Now wait, you weren't playing a um, a cavalier, were you? Uh, a Ronin, Ronin on a horse, and in the morning I was playing a red cap with a scythe. Okay, I see. I noticed your shirt says you're a volunteer. So, are you volunteered uh, GMing and stuff like that here? Yep, uh, I'm running a few PFS things in the morning. Tomorrow, I'll be running Creeps of the Borderlands, in which the denizens of the Caves of Chaos avenge themselves on the adventurers that have plagued them for so many generations. Oh, please, please tell me you have an open slot in that game. I have six slots and seven players. Ah, oh, denied. Yep. Sorry to hear that. Anyway, so uh, your games went well today? Yeah, like I said, many dead. You get a chance to play as well as GM? Yeah, this morning we were playing uh, Bessary Bash. Uh, we each cook up a monster and try and kill the other players as many times as we can. <laughs> Sounds like fun. Four was only good for second place, unfortunately. <laughs> this is Rob from RPGMP3.com here at PaizoCon. It's the end of Friday. Everybody's here getting liquored up in the bar. Uh, and I'm talking to the man who's probably more liquored up than anybody else, or will be by the end of the evening, Mr. Adam Daigle. Adam, how are you? Doing quite well, and I'm not quite liquored up that much yet, although I am doing my LARP, which is called What's in Daigle's Left Hand? If it's not a drink, why not make it one? And I'm keeping score here on my badge, and uh, we've got a few people who are uh, good contenders. Who's in the lead right now? Uh, right now it looks like Lyle's in the lead by bringing a bottle of bourbon to my last game. Lyle, you're an enabler. <laughs> All right, well, how's your con been so far, Adam? It's been excellent. I uh, got here early, got to see a whole lot of people, um, just got finished running Green Blood on a Black Rock, and it was probably the best turnout of the uh, three times that it's been run. We had a lot of fun. Excellent. How far do you come to get here? I came from Austin, Texas. So are you going to get a chance to play as well as GM here? Maybe. A lot of times when I play, it's uh, after-hours games, so it's the uh, debaucherous, fun ones or uh, board games. Cool. What, any other big plans for the rest of the con, other than running your events? Um, no, just my events and socializing is pretty much what I do at cons. So you're pretty active on the Paizo boards, aren't you? I used to be a lot more active when I was a little crazier, but now since I'm a contributor, I try to um, not rock the boat too much. 
Uh, what kind of projects are you working on right now as a contributor? I understand that you've got something uh, coming up for, what is it, Open Design? Yeah, for Open Design, I'm uh, doing the Midgard Bestiary. Midgard's their campaign setting, and uh, I'm going to be developing the Bestiary, which is good because I just came off of working on the Paizo's Bestiary 3. All right, that's excellent. So what kind of monsters are we going to see in the Midgard book? Um, a lot of them are, are ones that have already been published, and we're going to kind of revamp them, pull them up to Pathfinder rules, maybe get some sexy new art for it. And the rest of it, I'm holding some slots open to see how the rest of the project develops, and I'm going to throw it out there for patrons to make monsters, and then, of course, I'm being selfish and keeping a few pages for myself. Sounds great. So are you sworn to secrecy about what's coming up in the Bestiary 3? I, as far as I know, yes. I don't want to overstep any boundaries. All right, well, I guess I'll have to talk to you again after the banquet, which is when I'm sure a lot of stuff is going to be released. Yes, and then I'll probably feel better about talking about some of the other things. But, however, there's going to be a lot of critters from folklore, and, of course, with the next Adventure Path moving into a more um, Asian-themed world, you can expect some of that folklore to be touched on. All right, Adam, thanks very much for talking to us, and I hope you have a great rest of the con. Absolutely. You too, man. I'll see you around, I'm sure. Okay, cool. I am talking to Kevin Murphy. How are you doing, Kevin? Hey. Doing pretty good. What have you done today at the con so far? Uh, run two games, gone to panels, went to the fiction panel where my editor, James Setter, was. Excellent. Now, you are a contributor for Paizo, so what kind of stuff have you been working on lately? Fiction. I've got The Secret of the Rose and the Glove for the web fiction, and I've got part of the River Kingdom's Adventure Path, part four of six of the... Yeah, the Adventure Path fiction there. Sounds good. Are those out right now? Those are out right now. Um, other stuff can't talk about right now, but actually uh, what I can talk about is out in two weeks is George R. R. Martin's Wild Cards, Volume 21. I'm in it, Fort Freak. Well, that sounds excellent. Yep. When is that going to be available? Uh, that'll be uh, two weeks, which will be June 21st. Sounds great. So you're going to get a chance to do some playing or GMing while you're here? I, obviously, you're GMing. Are you going to get a chance to play? Uh, yeah, I'm planning on playing on Sunday. PaizoCon was originally begun as a fan-organized event, and I got a chance to meet and talk with the fan-in-chief who started it all, Tim Nightingale. Tim was only too happy to tell me the story of the first PaizoCon. This is Saturday. We're getting ready to go into the uh, preview banquet, and I'm talking with Tim Nightingale, who is the man who inadvertently founded PaizoCon four years ago. Uh, yeah, 2008, I believe it was. Yep. This is the fourth PaizoCon, and how did it come about originally? Well, so there's a message board. Uh, on the message board, someone uh, had started a thread that said, uh, hey, we should get together in a meetup and have it we'll call PaizoCon. And so I thought that was pretty interesting, and uh, I, I kind of sat out of that discussion until about the 50th post where most of the discussion was about Hey, let's have it where I live so that I can come and let's have it here. So it kind of switched between multiple cities in the United States and even Las Vegas, which, you know, it's ironically neon con now. But, um, I kind of got involved and said, so is there any chance that you actually want Paizo staff to actually attend this? And people's response was, wait, we, we could have Paizo come to this? Are, really? And um, at the time, I was gaming with, uh, I was in the office games with uh, several Paizo staff. I think it was uh, Jason Bowman's Eberron campaign at the time. And uh, I said, yeah, sure, I can ask him. I'm sure I can get 
couple of them to come, maybe even run some games. And they're like, that would be so cool. Can you go find a hotel for us? And uh, before I knew it, it was kind of my my thing. So uh, we had about 30 people that attended the first one. And the staff that attended probably all, close to outnumbered the people <laughs> that came. I mean, most of the, a lot of the staff actually came to the first PaizoCon. So it's been about 70 people in the room probably with the staff, the people who crashed because there were several... Several Watsi employees that crashed it because they were curious about what was going on. Yeah, it was only for one day. I bought pizza and beer from Costco, and uh, we ran games. Uh, there was two sessions of games. Uh, you don't have any idea how many people are here this year? Between staff, guests, and people, the last my last estimate I heard was around 450. I hope they keep it this small because it's, it's the intimacy of this convention that I think is really the, the treasure of it, is that you can walk the halls or be in a sit out in the lobby and run into Jason Bullman or, or Sean K. Reynolds and actually talk with them. That was the intent of running it, was being able to have a convention where you can actually rub elbows with, with the staff and actually get to know them. Do you go to a lot of cons yourself? Uh, I go to NorwestCon here. It's a Northwest Science Fiction Convention. Um, I've been going to that for over a decade now. Kind of crazy. I, a lot of the Paizo guys are actually my gaming pros on the panels, along with people from Watsi, people from all the gaming uh, companies that are in the Seattle area, which is a huge number. Uh, I know PaizoCon has been basically taken over by Paizo at this. You know, it, it, was it that first year that they basically took it over, or was it the second year? Um, it was at the end of the first year. You know, I started planning the second one right away, and uh, I was going to bump it up to about 300 people. I was going to um, reserve all the rooms in the hotel that we had been in. Uh, I actually had the reservations down, and uh, Josh Frost, who worked with Paizo at the time, he. Uh, he invited me out to lunch and said, so here's the deal. Um, Paizo wants to actually run PaizoCon now. Is that okay? And uh, <laughs> I, I could not get it out of my hands fast enough because uh, it was a lot of work. And I was looking at, you know, tripling the first one in attendance. And it just I, I just couldn't imagine how much more work I was going to have to put into it. Uh, so, yes, I was overjoyed. And I got a free lunch out of it, too. It was awesome. <laughs> the only thing that I do is I support the, the community by having a meet-and-eat uh, the night before PaizoCon starts on Thursday nights. I attended the meet-and-eat. It was great. Yeah. On Thursday nights, we all go to a local restaurant, which has so far been the Crab Pot. What I found is every year we've done this, we have captured about 20 to 25% of the whole con attendance to come to the meet-and-eat. And uh, so this year we had about 130 people. And so I just look at that and look at the first PaizoCon, we had 30 people. And uh, I'm like, oh, my God, this is like four times the size. Of, and it's just the, the dinner the night before. So uh, so I, I try to maintain being kind of the ambassador a little bit. People coming in, are come, some of them are coming in. This is their very first convention ever. And uh, I love that. I love the fact that they're coming to something that, it's just in its infancy, really. It just started, and us people are thinking this is the coolest convention that they want to start their con-going experience with. Now that the meat and eat has gotten so big, are you hoping that they're going to pull you into the office for another free lunch and say they want to take that over too? Uh, actually, I've been I've been trying to beg them to put that as an event so that they can just have tickets and and limit it. What's your favorite part of PaizoCon now? What I love is uh, just walking around and talking to people and. 
And actually, now my real favorite part is um, I'm the editor of the of Wayfinder, so one of my favorites is just walking around and talking to people about Wayfinder and what they think of the, the issue. It, this is my first one, so the first of uh, being an editor. So, so I'm actually really interested in. I like ha- handing them out and seeing people read them. So, awesome. Well, I'm definitely going to pick up a copy while I'm here before I leave. Oh, you get one. Oh, that's right. There's All one in the there's one in the swag bag. All attendees get one. That's the. Point. I, I've been so busy. I haven't had a chance to even look in the swag bag. I've been so busy. Oh my god! Really? That was the first thing I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tim, thank you very much for talking to us, and really appreciate it. And thank you so much for getting the ball rolling on all this. Oh, my pleasure. This is awesome. Every year it gets bigger. As I said before, PaizoCon seems to have become a magnet for game designers and developers, and among those in attendance were Clark Peterson and Neil Spicer, who have joined together with a number of other designers and authors to create legendary games. Both Clark and Neil took a moment to tell me more about their latest project. Okay, this is Rob here from RPGMP3.com. And I'm here at PaizoCon. It is Sunday morning, so everybody's a little bit bleary-eyed, but I'm here with Clark Peterson. And Clark, tell us, uh, how have you been enjoying the con so far? Oh, the con's great. Uh, um, I'm having an amazing time. Uh, it's nice to see everybody from Paizo. They just do it right, and that is what I think is great. You know, I go to Gen Con, or well, it's been a couple of years since I've been, but when you go, you know, companies usually send their corporate delegation. But you've got everybody here from PaizoCon, from Lisa and Vic at the top, uh, you know, down absolutely. And I think we can easily put Cosmo at the bottom of the ladder, <laughs> all the way down to Cosmo. Uh, everybody, everybody is here, and they just absolutely love gaming. It's great, and you know, it's uh, at the at the banquet last night. We said it's nice to see the good guys win, and that I think is pretty much how most of the fans feel here. There's a huge, huge spirit of passion here. It's just fantastic. It's just fantastic. So, what kind of stuff have you done during the con here? Um, mostly for me, because it's been a couple years since I've been um, producing products. For me, it's been a lot about reestablishing relationships, seeing people face-to-face that I haven't seen for a couple years. You know, I talk on the phone with Lisa or Eric Mona a lot, but I haven't seen them face-to-face in a while. So it was good to, to reconnect with them and just kind of reconnect with all the people that I know and love in gaming. Seeing Ryan Dancy again was phenomenal. And, you know, talking about... And I told him, I ran into him, I said, look what you hath wrought, Ryan. <laughs> look at all this. Because, you know, he's really the father of all that. And it's uh, it's uh, amazing to see what has come of all that. It's fantastic. Are you working on any new projects now? Yeah, absolutely. Our new company is Legendary Games. We're sort of a all-star team concept of, of writers and... Uh, uh, people who are designing and producing content. I've got Neil Spicer, Greg Vaughn, uh, Jason Nelson, Clinton Boomer, Rob Lazaretti is doing maps for us. Uh, and what we're trying to do is put together content that we call Adventure Path plugins. We're plugging in optional content to the Adventure Path campaign. It's generally applicable. It can be used in your home campaign even if you're not doing Adventure Path stuff. But you can go to our site and check it out. It's it's we're legendary games. The site is makeyourgamelegendary.com. Uh and you know, you can read the product stuff there, but there's nothing yet. We're we're almost ready to be putting it out. We don't want to rush it. We want to do it right. Um but that's what we've got in the works and it's really cool. Cool. Well, um here at the kind of have you been have you run any games? Have you played games while you're here over the weekend? 
No, I've, I've done a lot of seminars. Um, that's been really important to me. I want to make sure I have a good finger on the pulse of what the fans are into, where Paizo's going with things. Uh, the Adventure Path seminar I thought was really, really informative. We're just thrilled to be thinking about the upcoming Adventure Pass and the stuff we can do with that. Jade Regent sounds amazing. Skull and Bones, if you haven't already heard about it. I mean, the, the mind boggles at the possibilities of things that we can do, and we're just excited to fill all that. Um, also, I kind of came as a guest, and it was important to me not to take the place of a fan. I think those game tables really, the fans deserve to have that space and interact, so I tried to be respectful of that by not uh, horning my way into some of those games. And I'll tell you what, I was dying to get into Crystal's Weeby Goblins game. That looks so great. And you, I don't know if you saw it, but her GM style, the, she was so animated. That was just amazing. I mean, I watched it, frankly. It was so great. Uh, and But the games that are going on are amazing. Uh, Eric Mona's killing PCs right and left. Uh, Wes is scaring the hell out of people with his Ustalov adventure, and you know Ed Greenwood is running something over there. It's, it's just—it's really, really cool. So, what? Uh, what? Uh, you have a character in a long-running campaign now, and if so, can you tell us a little bit about that character? <laughs> oh, not characters. Uh, I have a long-standing. I've been asking everybody. Uh, though this may seem strange for someone who's prior. Uh, uh, representation is the Demon Lord Orcus. I actually have for a long time run a uh, paladin named Banner. Um, and I, I lifted that name from a book that I loved when I was younger, but uh, Banner makes his way through just about every campaign I play in. So, yes, uh, Orcus is a paladin. Sad, <laughs> but true. Alright, well thank you very much for talking with me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for talking with us, Neil. So, how are you enjoying the con? Uh, it's been um, an interesting experience this year. I think the first few times I came out, it was a little bit more gaming-related, kind of getting to know people. And uh, this year has been a lot more focused probably on the business side of things. I've, I've attended some seminars. I've made some connections. You know, uh, just joined up with Clark Peterson for uh, Legendary Games, so we, we had some announcements and things to make. You did get a chance to do some gaming, though, while we were here, right? Well, yeah, actually, I ran a game uh, on Friday night. It's uh, it's it was a director's cut of the module, uh, not module, but the director's cut of the adventure that I included in uh, Wayfinder, uh, the uh, fan uh, fanzine that's uh, created. Uh, the printed copy that was handed out here for free to everyone at uh, PaizoCon. So, um, what kind of stuff can we expect to see from you in the future? I know maybe you can't talk a lot about it, but uh, if there's any hints you can drop, or if there's anything you'd like to say about um, your most recent products. Well, I am uh, I'm continuing to write for Paizo. The thing that we announced most was uh, the Legendary Games team forming, uh, Clark Peterson, myself, uh, Greg Vaughn, Jason Nelson, Clinton Boomer uh, as writers. We're going to take a stab at uh, doing some things called Adventure Path plugins. They took out set pieces you know, a while back from their Adventure Paths, and there's an opportunity for us to maybe do some add-on material to widen an Adventure Path experience. Uh, they recently took out the iconics in the back for the pre-gen characters in their adventure paths. Um, and rather than duplicate that, because obviously the iconics are their IP, uh, we're looking at doing pre-gens uh, to help game masters, um, you know, help ease ease players into the game if they don't or if they don't want to roll up their exact characters. But we're kind of tailoring that product a little bit so that it will uh, also appeal to GMs who just want to 
inject an extra NPC to accompany a party, or maybe he wants to uh, set up an NPC somewhere in the midst of the adventure itself for them to interact with, or maybe even do a rival adventuring party uh, to challenge them along the way in, in what they're doing in a specific adventure path. So when you're talking in terms of like maybe have it be like a source book that, co- that um, plugs into the AP, which might contain these pregens you're talking about and maybe a side set piece adventure or something like that and a couple of other rules related things they'll they'll be uh, small little self-contained packaged material uh so this it, right now we're looking at selling these things in pdf format only there won't be a printed source book for it per se it's really just material to enhance an adventure path experience so um uh, you know, we're looking to kind of sell those in little individual products, small bite-sized chunks that they can kind of pick and choose which ones they want to include. All right. Well, that sounds really exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, thank you very much for talking with us, Neil, and uh, I hope you have a great rest of the con. Thank you very much. On Sunday, as the con was winding down, I returned to the dealer's room to speak to a couple of people who had been in seminars when I first passed through. Among them were Dale McCoy, Jr., publisher at John Brazer Enterprises, and Wolfgang Bauer, publisher at Open Design. Dale explained his new shorthand mass combat rules, and Wolfgang explained to me how he's managed to use crowdsourcing in his Open Design patronage projects. I'm here talking with Dale McCoy, Jr., who's the president of John Brazer Enterprises, and uh, I wanted to talk to Dale because, uh, as a former Warhammer player, I'm really fascinated with them, with uh, mass combat and getting um, battles into your RPG games. So Dale's going to talk to me about uh, some of the mass combat rules that are showing up in Book of the River Nations. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. Mass combat rules. The uh, core of the mass combat rules uh, explain how to take your regular character and then convert your character as well as 100 or 200 others, uh, low-level guys, and so that way you can lead that army into an epic-scale mass combat. Being the epic commander of the army, your ability scores and your skills uh, contri- and uh, some feats that you might take contribute to how well and effectively you lead your army. Do you have, like, unit stats, so, like, uh, a unit would count as, like, a single creature kind of thing? Exactly, yeah. Along with the rules, we also pre- uh, present a good number of pre-statted out uh, monsters for you to fight. We've got orc armies. We've got troll armies. We've got undead armies. You just have to make one single roll for the entire unit. And then you add your roll to the uh, to the modifier. If it breaks the armor class, so it's just one single roll for, uh, for to hit and damage, so to save time and allowing you to get back to role-playing as soon as you can. Is this the kind of thing where you would like actually lay out units of miniatures, or would this be more of a conceptual kind of battle where you, maybe you would have like cards or pieces that you could move around a battlefield, or you would just do it all conceptually? It's more conceptual. It's nowhere nearly as complex as the, as the Warhammer rules, uh, but it does uh, allow you to customize your army based on how, you, uh, on how your armies do. So uh, as you win more battles... You your army gets better and better uh, throughout time. You're able to get, uh, you know, you're able to buy magic items, so that way, you know, your uh, so that way your men can be wielding a ma- magic swords, um, or you can have, uh, you know, they'd be really good at uh, certain types of tactics. It, it, like you, uh, you can train snipers in your unit, so that way you can uh, pick off the uh, pick off some members of the of your uh, of your opponent's army, or you can trick your enemy into uh, into a false sense of security, so that way they take uh, a bigger amount of damage the next round. So you might also have opportunities for like uh, like heroic duels between enemy commanders while the battle's swirling around them, that kind of thing, and maybe two units led by 
You know, it's like a, your heroic unit versus an NPC heroic unit, maybe. Oh, we do cover that in the game mastery section, so that way for players that want to have that epic battle right in the middle, uh, in, in the middle while the armies are go- uh, going head to head against each other, that kind of epic clash. All right, I'm looking forward to it. I've got the, I've actually bought the Book of the Revelations here. I plan on reading it on the plane home. Awesome, awesome. Hope you enjoy them. Hey, this is Rob from RPG MP3. I'm here at PaizoCon. 2011. It's Sunday morning. Everyone is still recovering from the big banquet last night. I'm talking to one of the folks who was sitting at my table last night, and this is Wolfgang Bauer, publisher of Kobold Quarterly and other wonderful products. Wolfgang, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great. It's a, this is an amazing show. The banquet was awesome. We saw all the sneak previews last night and uh, kind of charged up by that, actually. So what's, uh, what's coming up that's new from your company that you want to talk about? Well, there's always a new issue of Cobalt Quarterly every quarter, so the summer issue is headed out to press, and we will have that in July. Um, and as always, the summer issue of Cobalt Quarterly is always the biggest issue. It's going to be close on 100 pages. We've got some great Pathfinder content. We've got an exclusive piece from Green Ronin that I'm excited about, um, and a great cover by Kieran Yanner, who is the uh, one of the guest artists here at PaizoCon. So I got to meet the cover artist for the next issue. That was fun. Uh, other than the magazine, which is always coming out and I'm always excited by because I'm a magazine fiend, uh, we also have the Book of Drakes coming, which is a collection of 20-some-odd new drakes, large and small, for your game. Uh, we like to call it Greater Fun with Lesser Dragons. Um, and the idea there is everybody wants dragons in their campaign, but, you know, a full-fledged, ancient, adult, you know, a big worm is really tough to play with at the lower levels. You're just going to wipe parties around. And not everybody wants to wait till their ninth level to tackle their first dragon. So the Book of Drakes is 20 possible foes that you can start out at first level, second level, third level, putting draconic enemies in your dungeons, fill your dungeons up with dragons again. Um, it's a Pathfinder book. It's beautifully illustrated by Hugo Salas and designed by Adam Daigle who's also here at the con, Hugo's here at the con, and Mike Wellham, the other designers here at the con, we brought a preview book, uh, a preview book that is leather-bound, laser-etched, full-color, oversized, super folio, like like an atlas-sized version of this book to show people how great it is. Um, I'm really excited about it. Adam, Mike, and Hugo are excited. Um, and we're getting a lot of great fan response saying, well, yeah, dragons you can use at lower levels. Now, was the, the Book of Drinks, is that a patronage project? No, this is one that's a standalone project and actually ties into PaizoCon because Adam Daigle and Mike Wellham pitched it to me here at the show last year. They came up to me, they talked to me in the bar, they buttonholed me and said, we want to do this book. And I said no. I said hell no. Because uh, they wanted to do, you know, a monster manual of dragons, which is very cool. And I said, there's no way I can afford to do an art book like this with lavish, lush art. I'll go broke, right? I'll lose money. It'll look beautiful. Everyone will love it. And I will be crying quietly to my accountant. Uh, so, So I told them to go back and rework the outline in a way that had still a lot of art, but maybe a chapter on spells for drakes, and maybe some new equipment for drakes, and maybe some things that didn't require wall-to-wall full-color illustration the way the dragons do. Um, and they said, well, yeah, that's, that's not actually a terrible idea. Um, and they came back to me with an outline that was bigger. And then they came back to me with Hugo, and Hugo said, yeah, I do want to do the whole book. So you do realize you're going to be illustrating dragons 20-some times, right? It's going to be all different. They all need to look different. So yeah, I know. They're going to look great. He said, don't worry. And I worried because I'm a publisher and publishers worry. 
but he came through sketch after sketch um, all year long since last Paizo Khan to this one. The arts rolled in and has made me happier and happier about this book. Now, what's the current patronage project you guys are working on? All right, we got one major patronage project called Midgard. It's a new campaign setting for Pathfinder. Um, it's a huge project. I'm writing a chunk of it. Jeff Grubb of the Forgotten Realms and Dragonlance and Spelljammer and many other things um, is writing a chunk of it. And Brandon Hodge, who's a regular now, a regular freelancer for Paizo, uh, is writing a good chunk of it. It's seven regions. It's a new world, uh, new PC races. Uh, it's classic fantasy, sort of dark fantasy, fallen empires, uh, rune magic. Uh, it's not all Norse. It has a dragon empire. It has wastelands where Lovecraftian horrors stalk. We're doing great with it. We're about a third of the way in, and it's the patrons are all over it because we are hitting so many different cultures so many different adventure hooks and our whole angle is make it playable right if it's just sort of ancient history dusty backstory for 20 pages we're cutting that it needs to be living breathing here and now stuff that people use in the world right away Wolfgang, can you tell me a little bit, how did you guys come up with the idea of the whole patronage thing to begin with? And how and how does it work? I mean, it seems it's, you know, crowdsourcing is really cool, but I think a lot of people have a hard time making it work. Yeah, um, it's it was uh, an accident. It was me saying, yeah, crowdsourcing's cool, I guess. I'm tired. I was a freelancer. I My daughter had just been born. I wasn't getting a lot of sleep. Um, and late one night, I just posted on my blog, hey, you know, what if I did a project and people just paid me in advance, right? What if we got rid of the publisher and I would hire an editor and I'd ask someone to do some layout? But what if you just paid me and we skipped the whole publishing distribution and retail channel and it would be an exclusive? Nobody else would get to see it. That was a mistake. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, and I... Posted it at midnight, and the next morning I'm like, oh, God, that was a dumb idea. Let me check my email. Holy cow, you know, ten people have signed up. Ten people have bought in based on this blog post. Well, maybe this will work. And I tried to get a little more momentum around it. I promised people, okay, here's what it is. I put some teasers out there. Um, I still hadn't written the thing. I kind of had an outline for what I wanted. But um, basically, people trusted me the first time out, and... Then I said, you know, we're going to design this together. I'm not going to just take your money and go off to a back room. This is going to be a patronage project where the patrons, you, who've thrown 20 bucks in, um, you're going to see my manuscript as I go along, and I'm going to brainstorm with you. And when I have a question, I will poll the patrons. Uh, Jeff Grubb actually said this would never work. He said, this is like, you know, you're asking uh, 50 popes to oversee Michelangelo's work on the Sistine Chapel. It's just ridiculous. Too many cooks. And I said, well, I'm still going to be the benevolent dictator. I'm still going to make the final call. But having a crowd as a sounding board and having smart, smart gamers um, look at the text early, going to make it a better book. Patronage-style feedback loops like this make better game products. Then the any awards started showing up. Then we started getting more and more patrons on each project. Then some more any awards showed up. Um, the Diana Jones Awards. Hey, it, it's been a pretty successful model for me. Um, other people are writing many of these projects and have basically walked in the door as patrons one day, and two years later they're like on the regular freelance roster at Paizo, 
The name Open Design is kind of exactly what I hoped. It's an open door for people to try out being a game designer for a while. Thank you very much. This is very insightful and uh, really happy to talk to you here at the game. Are you guys going to be at Gen Con? You know, I am going to be at Gen Con this year. We won't have a booth, but we will be uh, either at the Paizo booth or, or sharing a booth somewhere for a couple of days. I'll have some panels, seminars. I'll talk about patronage and other crowdsourcing models, how to be a publisher, how to break into the business, and how to publish with Cobalt Quarterly will be some of my panels. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you. At the end of the con... I retired to the bar where I was once more able to track down Jason Bullman to get more details on the upcoming Pathfinder Beginners box, as well as what we would see in Ultimate Combat. Shortly thereafter, Paizo's publisher Eric Mona sat down with me as well, and he very indulgently answered my questions on whether there is such a thing as an iconic horse. This is Rob from RPG MP3 once more here at PaizoCon, wrapping up the con right now. It is a lunchtime on Sunday. Everybody's pretty much recovered from the night before. Jason, well, kind of. Kind of. I'm, I'm sitting here with Jason Bullman, and uh, last night Jason gave his big presentation on what's new for Paizo, and he got a chance to talk about Ultimate Combat and the new basic uh, set, which is coming out. And now that the announcements have been made, maybe he's free to maybe drop a couple of spoilers. Yeah, I've got some news I can give you now. Uh, we, we had our beginner banquet last night. It was really exciting. We had uh, uh, 250 people come and uh, listen to us talk about our upcoming products. So we've got a lot of exciting things coming out later this year. Uh, the first one up on our, on our agenda is, is Ultimate Combat, which is a companion to Ultimate Magic. Contains a bunch of new uh, uh, class materials. So you got a bunch of archetypes. You've got three new classes. Uh, you got the Ninja, the Samurai, and the Gunslinger. Uh, all of which uh, complement uh, your existing games. We've got uh, a lot of alternate rules in there. So there's there's a lot of stuff in this book to flesh out the, the martial characters. Ultimate Magic really kind of focused on spellcasters. Ultimate Combat focuses on characters that like to use sharp pieces of metal to murder people. Um, so that's kind of what it's focused on. So a lot of the archetypes in the book are all focused on that. Uh, but, you know, we wanted to make sure that some of the other classes got some fun, too. So, you know, the, there's a, there's an archetype for a wizard that uses a gun. Um, yeah, that's the character I want to play. It's that has a long tradition going back in D&D, if you, if you know your history. Yeah, yeah, you got to watch out for those wizards with guns. They're dangerous. Um, so, uh, beyond that, the book has a lot of really fun alternate rule systems. So it's got things like... Um, Rules for duels. It's got rules for vehicle combat. It's got rules for performance combat, where um, you might be in an arena and you're trying to sway the crowd to your favor when you're hitting people and preening around the, the arena trying to get them on your side, almost to the point where if it gets good enough, they start giving you morale bonuses on your attack rolls. Um, of course, there's the opposite end of that, where if you do really poorly... They might start throwing fruit. And the emperor starts turning his thumb down. It's bad for you. Um, so there's a lot of fun new rules like that in the book. Um, there's uh, an entire... There's a small chapter on spells, focusing primarily on spells to give uh, uh, melee and range characters more options. Um, and there's a series of alternate rules in the book, too, that are kind of purely optional. Things like piecemeal armor and uh, armor as DR and, and health and vitality and things like that that all kind of modify combat. Called shots. Um, things that everybody like, I really want that in my game. And some people are like, I don't want that in my game. So we put those in an optional section so the game masters can pick and choose what they want in their game. 
I'm kind of intrigued to hear about the um, the vehicle rules that you were talking about. What kind of um, like you know for like wagons that you would like if someone was trying to do like do a wagon chase or on a ship, yeah, or on an airship, uh, for that matter. Uh, I heard you mention uh, the other day you said something about maybe having something to do with facing and those kind of issues. Yeah, when you start getting in with big vehicles, it's really hard to put them in a square, right? You know, a, a boat that's. Uh, 100 feet long and 20 feet wide, you can't really put in a big 100-foot square because it doesn't make any sense. So when it comes to vehicles, we actually kind of reintroduce a simple form of facing so that you can track how they're moving and their maneuverability. You can make piloting checks to make them turn tighter and things like that. Um, it's a simple system that you can kind of easily overlay onto your game when you need it, and then all the other times you don't have to worry about it at all. So uh, Because it doesn't apply to people like on horses. Uh, because horses still don't have facing, you know, they're still square. We, we specifically avoided the I'm just riding a horse or a dog kind of. We didn't want to interfere with those mechanics. We just wanted to deal with wagons and boats and blimps and, you know, dragon pulled chariots. You know, there's a dragon pulled chariot sounds awesome, yeah, yeah, by the I way. Want uh, I want a dragon pulled sky chariot. <laughs> we'll see what we can do about I'm that. I'm with you on that one. Um, one of the things as a GM that uh, comes up a lot when I'm designing encounters uh, that I want to be, it's really hard sometimes to develop a single bad guy who's going to present a combat threat because, because of the action economy, because of how the players always have more actions than the big bad evil guy at the end. And unless you give them a lot of minions, you know, it's very hard to sort of make a, a single bad guy threat like a giant or something like that. Is there anything in Ultimate Combat that uh, is helpful for GMs in kind of like buffing up combat-oriented big bad guys? Well, I think, you know, a lot of the same rules that players can use. You know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So, um, you know, you can play a wizard with a gun and then, or you could be facing a wizard with a gun. An equally terrifying prospect. Um, of course, a lot of times, you know, PCs ganging up on monsters and things like that. It, it's going to happen. Um, but we made sure to put a lot of toys in there that were good on both sides of the screen, right? I mean, that's kind of what we're looking for with most of these books, is that they're usable by everybody at the table. Well, I know that um, I was very happy when Ultimate Magic came out and I saw the Magus uh, character because, again, it, actually, every book you've put out so far, it has something in it that I, immediately is useful to the game. Like, for instance, when the APG came out, I happened to be needing something exactly like a witch. Hey, there was a witch. Ultimate Magic, I happened to be needing something like a Magus. There's the Magus. I may have been camping outside your house while you were running your game. No, continue. Uh, I think I'm going to have to get a pair of binoculars. Yeah, that's, a good call. <laughs> that's a good call. Yeah. Um, now, the basic set, you also you gave a seminar uh, a little bit earlier today about uh, the basic set and what's going to be in it and, and how it's going to be structured. Yeah, we're really excited. The Beginner Box is a very exciting new product for us. It's a way for us to introduce people, introduce new players to the game, people who have no idea what Pathfinder is or maybe even no idea what a role-playing game is. Um, it's really designed to ease people into the game. It's a simplified rules system. It's uh, straightforward. It's streamlined. It's designed so that when you open up the box, you can be playing within 15 minutes. Um, it's got a lot of great components. It's got a you know 64-page heroes book, a 96-page GM book, a flip mat with uh, the dungeon on one side and a blank on the other, so that you can draw your own dungeons. It's got uh, uh, 87 monster and player pawns, these little uh, cardboard stand-ups um, with plastic bases that you can slot them into. Um, it's got a set of dice. It's got four pre-generated characters with complete rules to play them, so you don't even have to open up the Hero's Handbook to begin play. It's got four pre or four blank character sheets. It's got all the rules and all the tools you need to really get started 
and we play tested this within 10 minutes of opening the box. You know nothing, and 10 minutes later, you're in a life or death fight against some rather nasty goblins. That sounds really, really awesome. I'm actually looking forward to it, and a lot of my um, fellow gamers have been looking forward to this as something to help our children who see dad or mom, you know, doing the gaming, and then there's the, you know, an inch thick core rule book to look at, and the art's really pretty, and it gets them excited, but the rules might be a bit much, and the box really, I think this is for our kids, really, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, we all, we recognize that a 576 page rule book is a bit much to hand a 13 year old or a 10 year old and expect them to really get. Um, so this is really designed to kind of build up your knowledge of the game and ease you into it. So it introduces one concept at a time, slowly building your rules knowledge as you go along. And, you know, then when it basically push comes to shove, some of the more complicated concepts are just omitted. There's no attacks of opportunity in the beginner box. It's just not something that we really felt that... Uh, you needed as part of your play experience when you were brand new. Now, it's an important part of the game tactically later, but for the beginning, when really what you want to do is kill monsters, take their stuff, and have fun rolling dice, that's not a valuable component. So we, we really focus on giving a fun play experience right out of the box. Well, it sounds really exciting. We're all looking very much forward to it. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to talk about that's coming up or that's uh, currently going on at Paizo? Well, there's a couple things I can talk about here real quick now that the show is uh, wrapping up. Uh, we've got a set of pre-painted plastic miniatures coming out later this year that many people have heard of. It's called Beginner Box Heroes. It's the four pre-generated characters from the Beginner Box made in pre-painted plastics. partnership with WizKids. It's uh, uh, $12.99. We're really excited. It's kind of our first test in this field. Um, we just got this one deal, so we got to see how this goes. So if you like seeing pre-painted plastics, make sure to pick this set up because uh, that's really going to tell us whether or not we can make more viably. So uh, we're really excited about that. That comes out at the same time as the beginner box. Fingers crossed. Um, then uh, after that, uh, early next year, we have, oh, uh, sorry, also late this year in November, we have Bestiary 3 which is coming out, which has got 300 brand new monsters in it for your game. Uh, we're focusing on myths from around the world. We've kind of hit most of the main, uh, uh, you know, Western uh, uh, myths, you know, the, the English myths and those sort of things. We, not to say there aren't more, but this we're really starting to focus on, like, here's uh, Eastern myth and, you know, myth from the New World and stuff like that. So we're really kind of pulling in some monsters from a lot of different sources. It's going to be a really exciting book. And then the, the 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 most far out book that we've announced is uh, Ultimate Races is coming out early next year. This is a book that's really going to expand what you can do with your racial options. So um, although there's going to be some class stuff in there, really we're kind of focusing on here's some ways that we can layer out your race and give you more tools to play with. It's also going to include an experimental system for designing your own race. Um, this will probably be an optional thing, but we're going to play test it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, we're all looking very much forward to it, and uh, you're going to be at Gen Con, obviously, this year? Oh, yeah, I never miss Gen Con. This will be Gen Con 24 for me in a row. Um, so me and Gen Con go a long way back. I'll be there all four days, uh, hanging out at the Paisa booth, doing seminars, playing games, having fun. All right, well, I'm going to come by and see, and I'll pick up a copy of Ultimate Combat while I'm there. Fantastic. I look forward to seeing you there. All right, thank you very much, Jason. Thanks a lot, Robert. Okay, this is Rob from RPGMP3.com, still here at PaizoCon 2011. It is lunchtime on Sunday. Everybody's feeling pretty good. I'm getting ready to wrap up the con. I'm here talking with Mr. Eric Mona. And, Eric, I just want to say you guys put on a hell of a show. Well, thank you very much, Rob. We uh, 
we're all here to have fun, and, and uh, I think we've done a pretty good job of that so far. I noticed that at the show you like you were running a lot of games. What were you running here at the con? I was running uh, a game I call Kings of Absalom, um, and it is actually the uh, the Paizo tournament campaign that I'm I'm running. Uh, I'm going to run several groups through it at Paizo. Uh, it's an open-ended tournament that's built in seasons of several play sessions, and then uh, once a uh, one group finishes the first season, I put that group on pause, run another group through it, and so on, so on. I score it by a number of different metrics like objectives, uh, time to get to the primary objective for the for the season, uh, and then of course it's Kings of Absalom, and the name of the game is Influence. And so the character, whenever I get bored and decide that the campaign is over, the character that's achieved or accumulated the most influence in the city of Absalom, most political influence, uh, leverage on important NPCs, political power, things like that, will be the winner of the campaign, for whatever that means, which is pretty much nothing. Other than bragging rights, I think I might get a little trophy or something I can give out. How many people have participated so far? Well, so far, ten people, uh, two groups of five, and uh, so far, three people survived the first session, and four people survived the second, so... uh, a little better than half of the people have survived so far. So we'll see if the Paizo folks are up to the challenge that uh, I feel the Paizo clan attendees met quite admirably. So you have a reputation as a killer DM? Uh, kind of. Yeah. I mean, a little bit. Yeah. I, 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 um, I don't tend to do a lot of, like, fudging either way, um, either for the player characters or against. Um, and because this is designed to challenge the, the game designers that I work with, there, you know, there's some pretty significant challenges associated with it. I don't think there, it's an unfair game, but it's definitely the kind of game that punishes you if you start yelling in the dungeon hallway and, uh, if you start looking, you know, leaping before you look and that sort of thing. Are you going to be running it at Gen Con or something similar? Uh, unfortunately, Gen Con is just too busy. About the best I can hope for as far as gaming is concerned at Gen Con is about a one hour demo or, or something of that nature. Well, I think that's the beauty of PaizoCon is that you guys actually get to play and you get to mingle with the gamers. I really haven't, I've never been to a con like this before. It's my first PaizoCon, and I'm just astonished by the access that you guys give everybody here. Yeah, you know, we we like to keep uh, the attendance uh, relatively small. You know, we cap it at 500 people, at least now. Um, I have a feeling it may be growing in the future just because every year it's gotten a little bigger than the year before. But uh, the, the intimacy between the, 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 the gamers and, and the, the professionals um, that, I think that's one of the big drawing points of the convention is that people have the opportunity to, you know, play in a game I run or play in a game Jason Bullman runs or, you know, uh, sit in the bar and rub shoulders with Lisa Stevens, who you might even be able to hear in the background as she's holding court with. In fact, she's over there sitting with Clark Peterson from uh, Legendary Games, formerly Necromancer Games. And, and you know, we have guests. We have random uh, gamer uh, professionals from the area who drop in. We had some folks from Wizards of the Coast come yesterday. They played. They just are hanging out. Uh, Todd Lockwood was here just kind of unannounced showed up you know so it, it's kind of developing a reputation as a place where uh, local game industry people can just kind of come and hang out but the main focus of the convention is gaming you know um, just about every member of my staff is running games uh at the at the uh, show and, and uh, i think almost all of us would tell you that PaizoCon's our favorite convention do you worry about losing that kind of intimacy as the con gets bigger uh, do you think that or is it a kind of situation where you're hoping that as Paizo the company grows, Paizo Khan will grow along with the company. Well, I think maybe the latter. You know, I'm a little concerned about it, honestly. The, the first Paizo Khan 
PaizoCon has origins actually as a show that fans created. Uh, PaizoCon, this is PaizoCon 4 now. PaizoCon 1 was held uh, in two rooms in the basement of a La Quinta Inn, you know, off the highway in uh, Kirkland, Washington. Uh, and we had, I think, uh, maybe more staff members there as guests than there were attendees. Uh, and it's grown every year. Um, and now we're up to about 500 people. I think next year might be even more. Um, but I hope that we can maintain the same sort of sense of camaraderie, accessibility, like you mentioned earlier. That's really important to all of us. So we're going to take whatever steps we can to make sure that it doesn't grow to the point where, you know, you never get to see the people that you want. You never get to be in a game that you want to get into. Um, we want to keep it small and keep it fun. Now, I've been asking this question to everybody, so i got to put it to you. Can you tell me who your favorite character is that you've run in a long-term campaign and something significant about them? Um, I, You know, my favorite character tends to be the one I'm running right now. So I would say that my favorite character uh, in recent memory is in James Jacobs' uh, Shadow Under Sandpoint campaign where I play Ostog the Unslain, uh, a Nordic sort of barbarian uh, who washed up on shore after being betrayed by his oarsmen, you know, on the high seas and just wandered into the nearest tavern. And uh, uh, he's real proud. He's real superstitious. And uh, he does not wear a scrap of armor. And I've managed to remain unslain now for 23 sessions. Uh, I think he's fifth or sixth level. And uh, he has never died. And he has never worn a scrap of armor. And I'd like to keep both of those things true throughout the entire campaign. Well, they can't kill him now. He's got his own miniature from Reaper, I saw. I know. I was really nervous. Uh, I was really nervous that once that miniature came out, that would be the death knell of my character, you know. And I still haven't painted it. So, you know, that's like, you know, people often ask what's one of the best things about being a publisher. And honestly, one of the best things about being a publisher is when Reaper says, so what miniatures should we make? I can say, well, I got this barbarian character you might be interested in making a miniature of. So, All right. Well, you know what? Speaking of miniatures, actually, uh, I was talking with the folks over at Reaper, and there is one thing that I wanted to put to you. Hate to put you on the spot, but there is one iconic that is not represented in uh, Reaper Miniatures right now who I feel has been egregiously overlooked. Good Lord, I have no idea what you're talking about. Which one? I'm, of course, referring to the noblest of all of the iconics, which would be Donahan, which would be Alan's horse. Oh, yeah, the horse. Uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, boy. Uh, I think I'd like to see the, the flying chicken Eidolon. Uh, that, that one might be, be first, but uh, I'll keep that request in mind. Uh, I never really considered the, the horse an iconic character, but I suppose in a way he's the iconic horse. Indeed. You know, you need an iconic horse. Well, all right, I have a bit of a bug up my butt about uh, about mounted combat in particular in uh, in Pathfinder. So I guess you just have to get Wayne Reynolds to draw Donahan because no, he hasn't yeah, really like drawn him. How it. would now in your mind, especially since I'm not sure we've ever illustrated Donahan ourselves as the guy who's the. Uh, only person who's ever asked me about this question. I'm going to consider you the champion of the horse iconic. So, how would a Donahan miniature, in your mind, be different and more iconic than any horse miniature you could get from any manufacturer ever? Uh, you know what? I think that Wayne Reynolds has created a really unique look for all of the iconics. There's a, uh, the way that he designs. The clothing and the armor. Like, there's something about the shape of the boots and the footwear and the way that, like, pouches and straps and everything are kind of arranged. And that kind of, like, it's a little bit over-the-top fantasy. It's slightly, I don't want to say cartoonish, but it's got a very animated, characterful look to it. It's kind of got kind of this action cartoon kind of thing going on, I think. Right. Okay, that's fair. So, so would it be fair to say 
that you don't so much have a horse fetish, but a horse equipment fetish, and you would like to see Wayne bring the same detail to the barding and pack and saddle of the horse, you know, does to the armor of, say, Valoros? I'm, I'm more of a cavalry fetishist, so... Okay. I think it's better to be a cavalry fetishist than a horse fetishist. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, just, just get on record for that. Um, well, I, I will take your suggestion under advisement. I'll speak to the good people at Reaper and then probably not make the horse miniature. I, I, can I They were telling me how difficult and expensive it is to cast a horse, so I honestly won't blame you. I'll have to probably kit bash one together myself. I would love to see a picture once you get it done. Okay, thank you very much, Eric. <laughs> thank you, Robert. Finally... Paizo CEO Lisa Stevens sat down with me and talked about her own gaming experience, as well as what it's like to run a company founded by gamers for gamers. Just before uh, heading out, I was thankful to be able to snag Lisa Stevens, CEO of Paizo, right here. Very happy to be talking to you, Lisa. Hey, Rob. How are you doing? Pretty good. Lisa, uh, I was just saying it's an amazing con that you guys put on here. I think the gaming industry is very unique in that you know the people at the top uh, are often just as big uh, as in as terms of like being fans of the material they're producing as the people who are consuming it down at the ground level. And I know that that is definitely the case with you because you are a gamer going way, way back, aren't you? That's true. I um, started with uh, first edition AD&D back in 1981. So, uh, yeah, I've been, uh, I ran a Greyhawk campaign for many, many years in college and helped develop Ars Magica and the Vampire of the Masquerade and then... Got to Wizard of the Coast and helped with Magic the Gathering, and then all of a sudden we bought TSR and I got back into D&D and helped launch their edition. And I started Paizo, we're doing Dragon and Dungeon, I mean it's, and now Pathfinder, you know, so yeah, lots of lots of games in my life. Whose idea was Pathfinder originally? Oh, it's, it's a group effort. I mean, it was definitely a group thing, you know, we, um, we tend to like think a lot about what might happen and, and try to plan for eventualities, and... Um, when we lost the magazines, we had to launch Pathfinder, and so we were doing, you know, adventures for 3.5. And then one of the first things we talked about, well, what happens if, if they go to a fourth edition? And, you know, when we lost the magazines, we speculated that, that one of the reasons might be they were going to be launching a fourth edition. So, you know, well, what, 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 should, what should we do? And, the, you know, the first thought is, well, we'll do stuff for the new edition of, of D&D. But then we said, well, what if we don't like the new edition of D&D? What can we do? And so... Um, you know, well, we said, well, I guess we'll probably have to do our own game at that point. And, and so we, we kind of kept a lot of different options open. Jason started playing around with what he would do if we did our own game. And, 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 you know, so we had to had these two options. And at one point we had to pull the trigger, you know, we had to say it was go this way or go that way. And we decided to go with Pathfinder. Well, obviously, uh, the decision to go ahead and, and uh, start Pathfinder has been vindicated over the last couple of years. I, I think everybody's pretty uh, much in agreement on that. Um, certainly, you've got a, a bewildering variety of new products coming out every year. The fans really appreciate it. Uh, is there any, what what really excites you that is happening right now at Paizo as far in terms of the stuff that's coming out? Oh wow, uh, so much! I mean, it's every day is exciting. Um, I'm playing Kingmaker, so obviously Kingmaker is really exciting me now. Anything that helps Kingmaker makes me a happy GM. Um, and uh, but you know we just announced the uh, Skull and Bones uh, Adventure Path is coming out next year. Uh, it's 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 Kingmaker in the ocean with pirates. You know, it's, so it's kind of uh, it's a sandbox pirate thing. Uh, I've seen the outline for it. It's super exciting. I kind of almost wish I could go through Kingmaker faster so I could play that when it comes out. The beginner box is something that the whole top staff of the company has been putting like five six months into. 
Um, and we're all we all were pretty picky and had different ideas when we went into it. We at the end of the game, we were all like really satisfied with what ha- what, what came out of it. Ultimate Magic's definitely got a place at my table. People, all my gamers are excited about it. Jade Regent should be a heck of a lot of fun. I mean, I love the idea of, of the Marco Polo, you know, journey over the top of the of the, of the world to uh, you know Ming Kai and and, and and Tian Sha or Asian Analog. And you know, there's just there's a bunch of other things I can't even talk about that are exciting. So really, it's like you get to tell this wonderfully creative staff here's here go make me some toys to play with is that what it really comes down to it's pretty much exactly it and there's times I'll, I'll go in and say i really need this for my game and <laughs> now the bad news is it takes about eight to twelve months for me to get it so we can't turn quite that fast but um a lot of the ideas for products come from actual play in the game and saying it'd be really nice to have condition cards you know all these different conditions that we have you know they're they're hard to keep track of the difference between fatigued and exhausted and la 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 so having those cards and we sit right next to me you know i'm next behind my screen and whenever someone gets it i go whoop up 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 there you go that's your condition so we don't need to worry about it and so that was like something for instance that came out of the actual gameplay and saying i could really use this as a GM, let me say thank you. And just about every GM I've ever talked, I've talked to, has basically said the same thing. in here, I think that's probably, I think that's your biggest hit item among GMs. I, I'm, I'm willing to go out on a limb and say. Yeah, that and the combat pad. I mean, the combat pad. I was, I was using old notepads, you know, back in the day, and just you know, note cards and, and shuffling through them and for initiative order and stuff. And then the, the combat pad came out. I was like, oh my lord, throw those cards away. I gotta. This is even better. You know, that's the kind of stuff that happened. You know, where I'm gaming and it's like I could use this now. We should probably other people probably can use it too. So let's make that. You know, that's so, so you GM more and more than you uh, act as a player. Yes, I mean I. Jeez, I don't even remember the last time. I, I think the last time I played was uh, playtest of Crypt of the Everflame when we were kind of playtesting uh, the beginning of Pathfinder, and, and, and Jason was running this adventure, and so we were, you know, I got to play Amiri the Barbarian in, uh, in her Pathfinder incarnation, and uh, that was a blast. I had so much fun uh, playing. I, I love to play. I'm a, uh, I just, I like the GM even more, so, uh, you know, I just, I, I jump at every chance to GM, and, uh, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll roll dice, too. It's funny, when I came here, I was thinking about this because I normally GM. I'm the local GM for the group there. And when I came to the con here, I was like, ah, well, I finally get a chance to play. I'll get into some PFS games. I came I played one game. I ran three. <laughs> there, you, there you go. See? Uh, you can't get away from it. Absolutely. So of all the characters that you've played, a character perhaps you created specifically, I've asked this of everybody else, what is your favorite character that you played in a long-term campaign? And can you tell us something about that character? So I was running a, a first edition campaign for many, 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 many years. Uh, I did get a little burned out as the, as the DM at that time, and uh, so someone else took over DMing for a little mini campaign, and I, I rolled up a character, Lorathorn Kuthalian, and she was a, 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 an elven ranger cleric, and she was it was in Greyhawks, she was in the Vesper Forest, uh, her home had been destroyed by orcs and stuff, and, and, and she was just kind of this morose ranger, but just, you know, it was a lot of fun to play her, and uh, that was like the longest term character I ever played uh, I actually did play I did play a character named Elsid in uh, Peter Ackerson's Chaldea campaign when I first got to Wizards of the Coast 
uh, that was that was a lot of fun. That was a uh, Red Samurai uh, character. So, uh, cool. well, I, obviously, you know, the passion that you guys have for the games, the fact that you play them, I think it really bodes well for uh, us, you know, the customers and the players. And we feel really comfortable that the game's in good hands. Oh, thank you. I mean, it's just it's a labor of love. I mean, trust me, everybody at Paizo, we love what we do. You know, I don't have to sit there and and you know and harp on people to work harder or be more pat you know passionate about what they do. They just they do it automatically. You know, it makes it easy to be the manager of, of the company. What, what is the hardest part of your job? What's the hardest part? Uh, or the hardest thing for Paizo to do these days? I mean, what what are the difficulties? Wow, that's a. I mean. I think keep raising the bar. Um, I mean, you know, when you, you look at some of the things we've done, we've done some pretty amazing things, and kind of almost having to keep outdoing yourself. It's 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 hard, you know, because you you've you've made these great products and and you know it's it's you're setting the bar so high, and then you know I think that's maybe the hardest thing. We work real hard, and so sometimes it can feel a little, it can get a little burned out. You know, when you work that hard, so sometimes just you know keeping people from from reaching burnout that can be a hard thing to do. Have you ever had to force somebody to go on vacation? <laughs> yes, actually, we you'd be you'd be surprised how many times in annual reviews a negative on there is you need to take more vacations. Well, Lisa, thank you very much for talking with me. Really appreciate it. You guys have done a great job and run a great con. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot, Rob. After that, the con was wrapping up, and I needed to make my flight home. I had an excellent time at PaizoCon 2011, and I have to say that it was one of the most pleasant con experiences I've ever had. So much so that I fully intend to make it back there next year. This has been Robert Kenzie for RPGMP3.com. Thank you for listening.